visit us at facebook.com slash securefreedom with Frank Gaffney. We're back and joined by, I'm proud to say, another of our regulars here at Secure Freedom Radio. His name is Bill Walton. He formerly was, well, I call him a master of the universe on Wall Street. Uh, He has successfully been a venture capital guy, but he's also now a conservative talk show host on the Bill Walt TV podcast, which is an absolutely terrific product. He is also a conservative movement leader as a former head of the Council for National Policy, of which I'm very proud to be a member. He is a good friend of mine, and we're always appreciative of his participation in this program. Bill, good to have you with us. Welcome back. Frank, it's always great to be here. Thank you. Listen, as a former member of the club, I wanted to get your take, Bill, on something that the Chinese um, were boasting about recently, namely the visit to China for six weeks, and apparently um, a very red carpet program by a man I gather you've come across in your former life by the name of John Thornton, a former senior executive at Goldman Sachs, and now the chairman, I believe, of something called the U.S.-China Financial Alliance. And it's that alliance that I'm particularly concerned about, I have to say, Bill. Um, Thornton evidently um, you know, came away from his experiences or probably had them going in, as a matter of fact, with predispositions to continue the very intensive transfer of funds from U.S. capital markets and American investors in them to China, to the Chinese Communist Party, to put a fine point on it, for purposes that that party uh, has in mind, uh, whether it's the oppression of their own people at home, to the violation of human rights there, of uh, Uyghurs and others, to the, you know, uh, build out of their Belt and Road empire, to their um, massive uh, increase in the kinds of weaponry that we were talking with uh, Sam Fattis about earlier that um, is aimed at us. Well, John's a former president of Goldman Sachs, and we know Goldman Sachs and Hank Paulson been really instrumental in helping China introduced China to the world capital markets and has been an instrument in their success in attracting U.S. investors into China. And having Thornton make a victory tour through or a PR tour through China is a real coup for the Chinese Communist Party. And what they're they're trying to characterize it as uh, they're saying Thornton's trip was similar in nature to Henry Kissinger's secret trip to China in 1971. (laughs) And well, what we could do Kissinger in a bit if you want. But uh, yeah, this is the, the Chinese are pushing back against the, the san- you know, any sanctions, what tra- Trump was doing with trade and, and all the alarms now about them stealing U.S. technology, et cetera, et cetera. And they're courting people like Thornton in order to, to maintain uh, their prestige on the world stage, they think. Now, Thornton's firmly in the camp of the Larry Fink uh, group of, of, of common cause with China. He's at Brookings, I believe, and and they, they haven't exactly been uh, top. They're globalists. It's part of the, the Davos uh, elite. And this is just more of the same. Now, you, I think you pointed out before we got on that he got to visit Beijing and John Kerry, who came over to lecture the Chinese about climate, uh, didn't even get into town. They kept him at arm's length. And I think they had a lot of their meetings via Zoom. So um, this clearly signals where the Chinese are in terms of being receptive to China 
uh, uh, climate movements. But anyway, Thornton's there. Uh, this is he's been doing this for forty years now, and uh, more of the same. Uh, you know, just I can't resist. I'm not sure that Kerry was there lecturing the Chinese on climate change. I think he was there importuning them to help him with. Um, his various agendas on the climate change front and apparently is signaling that he's perfectly prepared to throw over the side or under the bus, if you will, our concerns about human rights, uh, genocide that the Chinese are engaged in, the degree to which uh, they've inflicted upon the world this pandemic, uh, their military threats to us, and on and on. All of that uh, is sort of being as is John Kerry's want, uh, uh, sold down the river, shall we say, um, in the interest of um, improving relations with Beijing for the present purpose being climate change, don't you think? The, the Chinese see the uh, Kerry's interest and the administration's interest in climate change. Of course, they've declared that as the biggest strategic, biggest strategic threat to the United States, way over above Russia and China. And when Kerry goes there, they're willing to trade away key uh, uh, key things like uh, defending or, or stopping what's happening to the Uyghurs uh, and that genocide. Uh, they also are being pressed to let uh, China have its way with uh, Taiwan, just the way it's had the way with with Hong Kong, uh, and so they're prepared to give up what we view as uh, real American interest in, to chase this this ephemera uh, climate change. And of course, as we talked about before, China's just last year, in the last couple of years, has invested fifty billion dollars in coal um, energy producing uh, facilities. And uh, now it is interesting, though China, there's going to be they're going to be hosting the Olympics. They hope in twenty twenty two and and they've just announced a crackdown on its coal-producing, uh, coal-firing plants because they're trying to clear the air in Beijing so they present a better image to the world. Um, this is obviously not a long-term strategy, but they're trying to. They, they want a PR moment, and they don't want the TV uh, TV cameras clouded with so much smoke that you can't see the athlete. Do Bill? Let me turn to one other piece of this, which is that the Thorntons and the Larry Finks, who has explicitly called for a tripling of U.S. investors' participation in Chinese entities, and the others, Dalio, Schwartzman, and so on, um, seem unconcerned by not only what has happened so far um, with U.S. investments in China. And as I say, by some estimates, uh, U.S. investors alone have lost $500 billion since July. But you now have this specter of this uh, meltdown of the world's second largest real estate entity, Evergrande. Um, what do you make of that and the implications, again, for further investment in China? Well, let's do the first part, the investor part. What people need to keep in mind is that China's not really investable. Uh, and if you'd invested in a Chinese, uh, in an index of Chinese stocks in 1992, well, that's almost 30 years ago, you would have seen an average return of 2.2% annually. And you compare that to what would have happened if you'd invested in the S&P. The S&P returned almost 11% during that period. So China has been a loser for investors, uh, the average retail man on the street, woman on the street investor for decades. And yet, if you're in the investment company, 
world, you realize that, well, that's fine, but China is a huge market. There are four or 500 million middle-class investors, savers, and we want to be, uh, we want to capture that market. And so there, there, you know, there's a, there's a phrase on Wall Street when you go on TV, it's called talking your portfolio. And you go on, and if you're long a stock, you talk about its great prospects. If you're short a stock, you say, oh, this thing's going to go into the tank next week. And you're trying to move the market to, to further your uh, uh, your economic interest, and, and and clearly what BlackRock and Goldman Sachs and Thornton are doing is they're they're putting their economic interests first, and devil take the hindmost with regard to uh, both America and retail investors. As a guy who used to be in the business, how can you treat your clients though? And if so, can you do so for very long? Well, the thing they hide behind is they hide behind investment indexes, and what happens is the indexes are these the, the portfolio Portfolios are based on the percentage of, of stocks in, in countries relative to the whole. And so China's 4% of the, the world global market index, right? I'm not sure about the exact percentage anymore. So that's the amount you put into your your your, uh, your portfolio. And they hide behind kind of this mindless pursuit of diversification. Uh, diversification is a good idea as an investor, except when you realize there's some industries in some countries that just are not investable. Um, you know, I had interesting conversations when I ran my company. The rating agency would come in and will say, your portfolio is not diversified into these industries. And they'd pick an industry like uh, steelmaking. And I'd say, well, steelmaking was great in, in 1910, but it's not so great in 2010. And so we don't want to be an industry that have negative growth. And yet China, which is for the retail investors, had very little growth. It's still something they push because, uh, uh, you know, once again, they're talking their book. With regard to Evergrande, Frank, it's it, these property, the property market in, uh, in China, the re- residential property in particular, they've got 94 million unoccupied housing units. And somebody told me that's about, that would house about, uh, you know, 25, 30, 40 percent of, of American uh, uh, renters. And so it, it, it's, a, it's a massive overhang of, of uh, unoccupied real estate. And, and of course, the, uh, the banks in China are all controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, and they've been directed to keep extending loans uh, to the developers because the real estate uh, sector, the China's GDP is, is something like 20, 25 percent, which is way overbalanced compared to the rest of the you know, so-called developed world. And but it, even so, with Evergrande, I don't see this being a Lehman Brothers moment because there's no real markets in China. In fact, if you remember when Lehman went down and people were out protesting and on Wall Street against it, its collapse? Well, in China, they've told people that, that uh, if you're going out on the street to protest losing money in Evergrande, we will arrest you. And so they're going to, and also with the, the, with the inability to get real information on the internet in, in China, most people don't know about the extent of uh, Evergrande's problems in the country. The advantage of having totalitarian control of the media, you know, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing that enables you to skate on some of this, at least for a time. Presumably, it'll be showing up. Didn't Barack Obama admire that? I, I think he did, among others, yeah. Bill, I think he uh, did, Leslie, yeah, I do recollect. I, I was... <laughs> I was in a uh, a conference over the weekend uh, featuring three very interesting friends of ours, uh, one a new one, I hope, uh, two longstanding ones, um, Vivek Ramaswamy, the author of Woke, Inc., Steve Sukhoff, the author of Woke Capital, and Justin Danhoff, who has just been working 
tirelessly against woke Inc. and woke capital um, entities uh, that are increasingly translating their agenda, uh, the so-called ESG, Environment, Social Justice, Governance Agenda of uh, Larry Finkfein, into uh, their corporate policy, and uh, he's been resisting it mightily. Um, these are individuals who are really warning that something very ominous is taking place in C-suites across America, and I think you've had a chance to take stock of it as well. Some of it's the kind of thing we've been talking about, you know, the willingness to throw in with the Chinese Communist Party. Some of it's this uh, so-called woke agenda, which is really, I, I think, just a fancy term for uh, sort of Marxist, um, you know, globalist, uh, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, sort of uh, anti-American, anti-free enterprise approaches to uh, to business. What are your just, if you would, quick thoughts on um, the state of American capitalism and its prospects? Uh, big question, but the short answer is this is the last one of the last institutions to fall to the left. Uh, they took the universities, K-12 education, Hollywood, the rest of the media, the social media companies, and those are very, very woke at this point. And the, 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 the military and the corporate America was kind of the last place that hadn't been conquered. And we're seeing with uh, Mark Milley telling us that uh, white rage is the biggest threat that America faces. Uh, Mark Milley, head of the Joint Chiefs mm -hmm. of Staff. We've been talking about him. Uh, co corporations have fallen have fallen in, in line with that as well. Just an anecdote, uh, CVS, the big drugstore chain, uh, their outgoing CEO personally conducted CRT training for tens of thousands of its employees, uh, and I think they did a lot of it virtually, of course. But it was uh, it was the CEO uh, basically making common cause with Abraham X. Kendi and uh, and his critical race theory and uh, and uh, you know white racism and and so it's 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 a big problem, Frank, uh, that the corporations think that they've got to do that. You know, I, I sort of like CBS giving us low price uh, pharmaceuticals and other kinds of packaged goods, but uh, evidently the, uh, the CEO doesn't think that's its priority. And the question is, is it actually going to be able to give you those low price pharmaceuticals if... Just looping back to China, I mean, there's, this is a worldwide issue. Uh, you know, the Chinese Communist Party just ordered uh, Tencent and Alibaba who are big technology companies, you know, Tencent's a, a video game company, essentially, and Alabama's e-commerce. And they've just ordered them to put, I think, roughly $8 billion each into uh, social, sustainable social value organization funds. Now, that works out to about 25% of their profits this year, which is a lot. But they're directing them to put money into rural revitalization, carbon neutrality, um, assisting with public energies, technology for senior citizens. In other words, they're doing all these things that don't have anything to do directly with its business and its ability to to generate earnings for shareholders. And that's really mirroring what's happened here in the United States. Uh, you know, people think of the Ford Foundation, which I don't not. I don't think it's directly associated with Ford Motor Company anymore, but that's become the biggest funder of all these, uh, uh, you know, so, social reengineering projects and, and, and 
you know, at some point, the, the, the golden goose gets uh, gets killed if you keep diverting, uh, uh, you know, investment dollars away from uh, productive uses. And I'm not so saying there aren't socially good things that you want to do. That's people's individual choice. But, uh, you know, and it's just, all this is masked, Frank, by the fact that the tech companies, the big, the fangs, so-called, are, 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 are absolutely killing it with their earnings. I mean, they're, they're making 100, you know, 50 50 billion dollars a quarter um, that's each and so they've got a lot of capital to throw at this and, and it won't affect their profits in the short term but long term it probably will bill walton on that cheerful note we have to leave it at that thank you for joining us as always it's great to talk with you we'll do it again next week glad glad to talk soon. leave our audience yearning for more <laughs> there we go thank you my friend and thanks to all of you for joining us i hope you'll do so again tomorrow for more this doom and gloom and other messaging and information you really need, all kidding aside, about our future and what you can do to help it come out right. Uh, for that, come back to us again tomorrow, same time, same station, if you would. Until then, it's, this is Frank Gaffney. Thanks for listening. The Cure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney. 